listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. I've just heard two New Testament texts read aloud, one from the Epistle to the Hebrews, one from the Gospel according to Mark, which taken together give us a kind of a picture of Jesus Christ as both servant and as exalted high priest, as both very much human, yet at the same time very much divine. Now, as is often the case, the gospel text was easier to hear as it was being read and to digest as it was going along because it's a piece of conversational narrative. The epistle, on the other hand, maybe wasn't so easy to follow and to integrate as it was being read aloud, partly because it's just a short piece of a much longer argument that's being developed in this theological letter, and partly because as the writer is unfolding his ideas, he lands on our laps this reference to some character named Melchizedek. I suspect that by the time the gospel had been read, many of us had ceased thinking or reflecting at all on this rather dense Hebrews passage. So let me begin with it. Epistle to the Hebrews was written by an anonymous author sometime in the latter half of the first century. It was intended for a Jewish audience, perhaps Jewish Christian believers, but also possibly Jews who found themselves sympathetic to or open to this movement that had sprung out from the life of Jesus. A major part of this author's concern is to show the deep and foundational connections between the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and this new Christian proclamation, as well as to make clear that Gentile believers belong and they don't have to become first Jews and then Christians. It's one of the real pressing matters for the early church something taken up powerfully in other ways by the Apostle Paul. Well, as today's brief passage opens, this author is working with the image of the high priest, the Jewish high priest. He begins with the tradition of the human high priest, whose role it is to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Such a high priest, the writer says, is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself, as a human, is subject to weakness. The priest isn't perfect, isn't expected to be sinless in any way, so he must offer sacrifice for his own sin as well as for those of the people. And such a role, the writer really emphasizes, is not just a matter of career choice. A, a, a priest becomes a priest only when called by God, just as Aaron, the brother of Moses, was. So it's actually a very positive portrayal of the high priestly role, in spite of the fact that in the passion accounts of both Matthew and John, the high priest Caiaphas is shown in less than shining light. Still, this writer of the epistle to the Hebrews wants to kind of claim it in a, in a positive way. 
And then the author makes this oh-so-critical move of identifying Jesus as a high priest, also appointed by God and appointed to a very particular priesthood of obedience and self-sacrifice. In this, the writer says, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Having been designated by God a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. There he is again. This figure of Melchizedek is mentioned twice in this rather brief passage, and then several more times as the epistle progresses. Melchizedek actually gets considerably more ink in the epistle to the Hebrews than he does in the Hebrew scriptures themselves, where he's mentioned actually only twice. And only once is he mentioned in the flesh. He's an enigmatic figure who, in the book of Genesis, comes to Abraham kind of out of nowhere with a blessing. King Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. That's kind of it for his actual appearance. He's both king and priest. And he's the one who brought to Abraham not only words of blessing, but also bread and wine. Well, the Christian patristic writers of the first three, four, five centuries positively rhapsodized over that symbolism. And though the writer of the letter to the Hebrews doesn't even mention these gifts of bread and wine, he does make a very explicit connection between Jesus and Melchizedek. He links Jesus' kingship and Jesus' priesthood to something even more ancient, more eternal than the priestly lineage of Aaron in which the Jewish high priests stood. Yet what truly marks Jesus' eternal priesthood for this writer is calling, submission, suffering, and obedience. Yes, the high priest who is Jesus is raised to a place of exaltation. As Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians, Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee should bend to this exalted Christ. Yet... Like the writer to the Hebrews, Paul is clear. The only way to that exaltation is not a royal road of privilege. It's not a road of honor, but rather one in which Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. It's a way of humility and obedience, which actually then bridges us into the reading from the gospel according to Mark from tonight. In that reading, we find two of the disciples, James and John, in search of a glorious royal road. Man, that's where they want to be. Teacher, they say to Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. 
Right. Whatever you ask of me. And just what do you have in mind, gentlemen? Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. That's a small request, right? This is not the first, nor is it the last time that the members of his company of disciples, those who are closest to him, will show just how utterly wide of the mark they are in their understanding of the life and ministry of the one they've been following. This episode, though, is punctuated by one extra little detail. After Jesus defers and refuses to grant their kind of arrogant request, the other disciples, quote, began to be angry with James and John. Their anger suggests that these ten disciples are harboring some resentments, right? Who do they think they are asking for those seats on the right hand and the left hand, those seats of privilege? How dare they try to get themselves put in that position? Why would they imagine it's they and not me who deserves to be there? That's kind of the subtext of the anger, right? Well, Jesus responds to their jealous anger, and it's clearly jealous anger, with something very measured, careful, and if they're actually listening to him, something rather revolutionary. You know that among the Gentiles... Those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them. Their great ones are tyrants over them. Take a look, Jesus is saying in other words. Take a look at how the Roman occupiers are structuring their political system. See the privileged lives those in power live. Not so with you. Not so. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve, to give his life for a ransom for many. Got that, guys? Like you've been missing this again and again? Do you get that this time? No more talk about seats of honor. No more talk about places of glorious privilege. Get on with the call to servanthood, which is, after all, the thing I've been trying to show you since the day I called you out from your fishing boats. You know, it's not as if this is little more than a call to delayed gratification either, as if, you know, be really good, humble servants. Be the best at being humble now in this present age, and then eventually you might get those good seats. It'll pay huge dividends if, if, you, if you really get humble now. I don't believe that's what he's saying. Though Jesus will be, again, as Paul says, highly exalted, given the name above every name, even in his glory he never ceases to be a lamb. The servant, the one who is God for us and God with us, as this anonymous writer of the letter to the Hebrews said a bit earlier in his epistle, we do not have a high priest in Jesus. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses. We have one who in every respect has been tested just as we have, yet without sin, yet without 
destructing, going inward, becoming self-serving, and looking for those positions of privilege. Rank and privilege and all things related to bookkeeping and bean counting are to be wiped away in the fullness of time that is the reign of God or the kingdom of God. When this revolutionary Lord who is with us and for us will simply say, take your place at the table at the wedding feast of the Lamb, as it is in the book of Revelation. You're welcome at my feast. Take your place. And as we do, and it is not just James and John, it's a we here, as we do, don't be surprised to see that your first glass of wine at that festal table is being poured not by some angelic server, but by Jesus himself the inveterately hospitable host of the banquet. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For more information on the church, or to offer your support for our ministries, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca.